Time Passages, the history podcast for students that know the unexamined life ain't worth living. Be more autocratic than Peter the Great, and more sterner than Ivan the Terrible. Tsarina Alexandra to her husband Nicholas II, Tsar of Russia, 1905. Autocracy is a superannuated form of government that may suit the needs of an African tribe, but not those of the Russian people, who are increasingly assimilating the culture of the rest of the world. That is why it is impossible to maintain this form of government except by violence. Nicholas Tolstoy, after the effects of the 1905 revolution. A good starting point to understand the last 50 years of Tsarist rule is to examine the structures of the nature of government, and to understand how the last three Tsars, Alexander II, Alexander III and Nicholas II, maintained control over their vast country and empire. The ideology of the state between 1855 and 1917 can tell us a lot about how these men governed the set of values and beliefs that they imposed on the populace. As this podcast will hopefully demonstrate, Russian government changed very little in terms of ideology. The Russian Empire was autocratic in 1855, and in the mind of its last Tsarist ruler, was ruled autocratically during 1916 and early 1917. Many individuals in this story saw the importance of the autocratic system and pushed and promoted it, be it for paternalistic, egotistical or common sense reasons. However, it is a system that relied on a ruler who could rule autocratically and that was its inherent flaw. From 1855 to February 1917, the ruling Tsars believed that they had absolute power given to and ordained by God. Autocracy is a system of government where one person has total power and it is centralised in the hands of one individual. Article 1 of the Fundamental Laws of 1832 made it clear that, and I quote, The Emperor of all the Russias is an autocratic and limited monarch. God himself ordains that all must bow before his supreme power, not out of fear, but out of conscience. Here lies the first principle of autocracy. The autocrat can rule without constraints. To an extent, he was infallible and therefore faultless of blame. Actions were done according to his duty, and what was right. As such, there is no room for the Tsar to consult or to listen to the consent of the people. Another principle of autocracy was that the Tsar acted as a moral judge. As historian J. N. Westwood states, the Tsar had a paternalistic duty to protect his subjects and control their behaviour for the good of the country. One can read in many modern texts of the later Tsars being referred to as the Little Father implying his duty to protect the mass subjects he rules over. This in turn within Russia in the late 19th century and early 20th century was supported by the Orthodox Church. However, it is the third principle of autocracy which is the foundation of the political system of autocracy. Autocracy is centred on traditionalism or orthodoxy 
And in essence, that means any form of change, progress or reform is going to be detrimental to autocracy. Many saw autocracy as the only form of government Russia could have had. Russia in the late 19th century was a vast country and so diverse as well. This is a country that measured 6,400 kilometres from west to east and 3,000 kilometres north to south. Large parts of it were uninhabitable or small fractions of the population surviving there. There were 19 major spoken languages in Russia, from Ukrainian to Mordanian, not to speak of the minor dialects that were spoken in small village communities. Different cultures, religions and customs could be seen if a western traveller explored the country from end to end. Therefore, when Pobodonostev, Alexander III's tutor, spoke of democracy being the biggest lie of our time, he was alluding to, as many critics did, that it was impossible to govern Russia through a constitutional government or any form of democracy. Many feared that jumping straight to democracy would have been disastrous, with so many people demanding different things. To people like Pobodonostev, autocracy worked because it was simpler, just to have power concentrated centrally in the hands of one ruler ordained by God. As such, autocracy was a system of practical necessity for the security of Russia and its empire. Nevertheless, let us not forget that it was beneficial for the Tsar and his ministers and advisers to uphold autocracy. Pobodonostev, for instance, became influential in the government of Alexander II, held the post of Holy Synod in the 1880s, and was important in the tutorage of Alexander III and Nicholas II. One has to take into consideration that men like this were not going to dilute or adapt the rule of autocracy, as simply it would have reduced their own power. The same logically applies to the Tsars. Autocracy was upheld by all three successive Tsars between the years 1855 and February 1917. Yet it would be misguided to say this was implemented in an exactly the same way. Events occurred that made successive Tsars consider the position of autocracy and how it should be implemented. Alexander II did not waver in his position on autocracy as vital to his rule but did have reformist tendencies during the early 1860s, namely with the emancipation of the serfs in 1861. Alexander II delivered to his ministers the notion that it is better to reform from above than from below. In other words, in order for autocracy to remain as a principal political system, things need to change and Alexander II saw this. The Crimean War had been a disaster because reform had not occurred. Serfdom in its current form had to end and there had to be changes abroad. Even after a failed assassination attempt in 1866, the Tsar did not waver in the insistence that autocracy was right and would remain so. Alexander II was no liberal. He simply reformed to improve and stabilise autocracy. This is the way his rule and his decisions must be seen. Comparatively speaking, Alexander III upheld autocracy, but did so in a more ruthless, authoritarian way, namely because of events outside his control. In 1881, his father had been assassinated by People's Will, a terrorist group who were disappointed with the lack of reforms. Alexander III, therefore, saw reform as something that is directly in opposition 
to strong and stable government. Why else had his father been murdered? He decided, therefore, to ruthlessly suppress opposition groups and any voice in the wilderness speaking up for reform. His period, known as the Reaction, reversed many of the changes of the previous Tsar. Police were strengthened, land captains were put in to deal with dissent in the village mirrors. Any form of reform introduced in the last days of Alexander II's reign were halted. The new Tsar realised that the assassination gave the regime an appearance of vulnerability, and this was damaging for the system of autocracy. One can see this with most evident at the time when he delivered his manifesto in 1881, entitled The Manifesto on the Unshakable Autocracy, with its central message that, and I quote, One will rule with faith in the strength and autocratic power that we have been called upon to affirm and safeguard for the popular good. In essence, Alexander III is harking back to the main principles of Tsarism. He can rule without constraints, to do his duty and to do what was nobly right. Here, Alexander III is like-minded as his father. Autocracy is central. However, his implementation was more severe because of the events of 1881. It was this tragic event that underpinned his whole rule, and one can see why this would be the case. In 1894, Nicholas II would become the next and last Tsar. With an examination of his first years as Tsar, Nicholas was a conservative, nationalistic and a traditionalist. Nicholas stated when taking the throne that, I shall devote all my strength for the good of the whole nation to maintain the principle of autocracy. Nicholas was intent to ensure that the path his father had taken would be upheld by himself. This would be the foundation throughout the course of his reign, even when concessions towards reform were put in place. The greatest example to support this was after the 1905 revolution. The Tsar allowed the creation of a Duma, an elective representative body to govern within Russia to placate those that demanded it, basically satisfying those Octoberists. Yet in the same breath, the Tsar issued the Fundamental Laws of 1906, which effectively reinforced the unassailable position of autocracy within Russia. He had the effective right to close down the Duma, which he did on more than one occasion, and to rule independently when they weren't in session. The Tsar therefore had no intent to see his powers limited for the sake of democratic principles. A leader imbibed with the philosophy of Pobodonostev and the guiding hand of his father. Yet one thing does need to be taken into consideration, and this is that although Nicholas was an autocrat, he was leading a country that was vastly different to that of his predecessors and it would be changes within the country that would weigh heavily upon his rule of autocracy. Within the introduction, the point was made that autocracy relied on a ruler who could rule effectively. Many historians and contemporaries have highlighted how Nicholas was a weak and ineffective ruler. Many cite the fact that he lacked the qualities of leadership and training to be a Tsar. The Tsar even admitted himself that he was overwhelmed by the prospect of ruling Russia. Historians like Orlando Figs have stated that he was the source of all Russia's problems. Effectively, a Tsar determined to rule from the throne, yet incapable of exercising his duty. Quite simply, Russia, by 1900, was an autocracy without an autocrat. 
However, the point is that Russia was changing rapidly during his reign politically and socially, something one could argue that his father and grandfather did not have to contend with. Russia was going through a seismic social and economic change, and autocracy was in the spotlight for its survival. The emergence of political parties within Russia, a more demanding peasantry, the migration of peasants from the countryside into the towns and cities, the emergence of a new middle class and an urban proletariat, not to mention a global war, all had a massive impact on Russia and its autocratic system. Nicholas II and the system of autocracy had to deal with this. As historian Dominic Livien has stated, and I quote, These traumatic years required something different, and would probably have destroyed any man who sat on the throne. Not only any man, but a system as well. Autocracy through the guise of Tsarism would be dead by February 1917. With the abdication of Nicholas II, 300 odd years of Tsarism was at an end. Yet as a footnote, Tsarism may have ended, but Russia had been used to an autocratic system being in place. Democracy would be short-lived, taking place between February 1917 to October 1917 with the provisional government. Autocracy was ingrained within Russia as a system, and as such seemed a more consistent approach. Without autocracy embodying the political system within Russia, and how the state was governed effectively, it would have an impact on how Lenin and latterly Stalin have built their political systems and ideology. Their communist dictatorship owes a debt to the years of Tsarism. Democracy as such floundered because it had not had a historical place within Russia. It is very hard to put a new system in place without any previous form of association with it. The defining message of this podcast has hopefully been to show that Russia, between 1855 and early 1917, is a story of continuity, when examining ideology and the structure of government. The killer statement here is that autocracy was the bedrock of Tsarism. It relied on the unassailable position of the Tsar to rule without limits and without the trappings of democratic principles to stay in power. The notion put forward by Pobodonostov that democracy is the biggest lie of our time was followed and upheld by each successive Tsars as shown through Alexander III's speech in 1881 or the fundamental laws issued by Nicholas II in 1906. Yet the dominance of autocracy relied upon an effective ruler that could control and make the correct decisions and a Russia that remained unchanged socially and economically. This was easier to execute in 1855, less so by 1917.